Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies. It's time for me to recommend a new independent podcast. I really hope you appreciate this. I listen to a lot of duds in order to find the good stuff, and I do it for you and the independent podcasters. My number two passion right after producing the best podcast I can give you with Behind the Bits is showcasing other great independent podcasts so you fill your podcast app with shows that are being produced by people who care about their craft and their audience. Dax Shepard and the Office Ladies... They don't need any more listeners. You gave me a chance. Now let's give some love to other folks who are putting out great content. Yes, this was a rant, and I'm done now. Okay, let's talk about the BHH cast, which is pronounced BACast. The BACast is Jamie Bendel, Adam Haig, and Jamie Hernan, three friends who have a knack for banner and who interview great comedians. Every episode starts with the guys catching up on stuff going on in their lives and the world, and then it goes to a comedian interview with a twist. You'll have to tune in to find out about the business card and meet and three question, but they're pretty cool, and you learn stuff that you normally wouldn't hear if the guest was asked just all the usual questions. Now I'm going to give you an episode to start with because it's the one that drew me in. Check out Craig Gass Doesn't Know When to Shut Up and Makes Us Hear Voices. That's the episode. This episode has the most inspiring and at the same time heartbreaking story I've heard on a podcast. Then Craig does some great impressions. Check out the BHH cast or BACast on all the apps by typing in BHH cast, all one word in the search bar. You know what I'm going to say here? It's a good one. Hey, BTB buddies, I have another great independent podcast for you. It's called Highbrow Drivel and is hosted by international comedy superstar Anthony Jeannot. Anthony is an Australian comedian relocated to London. I love the premise of this show. Anthony invites one of his comedian friends and an expert in their respective field to talk about a different topic each week. I love how the subject matter is new for each episode because it gives you just enough information to develop an interest. And if you really like it, you can Google it to get deeper or you can go read a book. Here's the last three episodes. Memory Lane, How Memory Works, Why We Need to Get Rid of Billionaires, which is my personal favorite so far, and Mind the Orgasm Gap in honor of International Women's Day. Anthony does a great job of mixing lighthearted banner with serious talk. So if you want to learn and laugh about a new topic each week, Highbrow Drivel with Anthony Jeannot is a great choice. Check it out on all the podcast apps and at highbrowdrivel.com. You know what I'm going to say here? It's a good one. My guest today is comedian, actress, and reality TV personality. She is currently appearing as the special guest star in Burlesque, that's Burles, B-U-R-L-E-S, and then the letter Q, an all-female review at Alexis Park Resort in Las Vegas. April has appeared on Entertainment Tonight, The Today Show, and What Would You Do? 
Her latest book, Don't Read My Lips, is coming out on April of this year. Hey, folks, it's April Brooker. April, how you doing? Good, good. How are you? Can you hear me? I'm really stoked to be able to talk to you because I got, I did a deep dive. I went into the whole backstory and everything, and I think it's really neat that you knew what you wanted to do when you were really young. I, it always found me. I've always known that this was my path. As a matter of fact, I was four, and my dad's, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm like, I want to be a famous actress, and he's, no, you don't. You want to get a job. Yeah. So. <laughs> So let's talk about Mr. Rogers. I in that you you talk about Mr. Rogers and how that just totally changed your world. Let's talk about that. Well, Mr. Rogers changed my world when I was a kid in Pittsburgh because uh-huh. Mr. Rogers was produced in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And he had these puppets. He had the neighborhood of make believe and when I would come home from school and I grew up with only three channels because my parents were teachers and mm. they said you don't need cable. You're going to be a thinker if you live here. And look at how that turned out. Yeah. But I had this uh, older woman that babysat me. And they, my parents met her at the church. She was a great lady. And so she wanted to show me child-appropriate programming because the only other stuff that was on was trash talk. Mm. Everybody loves trash talk. Yeah. So I would come home from school, and it was Mr. Rogers in Sesame Street. And I remember I loved the puppets. I loved Lady Elaine Fairchild. I know she scares everybody, mm-hmm. but I loved her, and I loved Daniel the Tiger, yeah. and then I loved, of course, Sesame Street. Right. So I always loved puppets, and my mom got me a puppet show. I played with it endlessly, but I never, like, I knew that puppets would be a part of my destiny. I just didn't know how. Uh-huh. Then when you were 14, you actually started a show. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into that? That's a, another backstory. I was a gymnast, and my goal was actually to be an Olympic gymnast. Okay. Because when you watch gymnastics on TV, every girl suddenly wants to do gymnastics. <laughs> One thing about gymnastics is you get hurt frequently. Yeah. And so I got hurt, and plus I hit puberty, which means your gymnastics career goes bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I was going to try to be a platform diver because that's like the – I guess, thing that most gymnasts do. Uh (laughs) And I thought, I'm going to be a good platform diver. I was a terrible platform diver. I did not like falling on my belly. I was always like smashing. And everybody was always laughing at me for the wrong reasons. But I was a hit just (laughs) for the wrong reasons. So I thought, okay, I don't want to be a platform diver. But as I said, I grew up with three channels. So my dad wanted the local sports channel. And in order to get the local sports channel you have to get cable. Mm. Now, you should have heard my dad on the phone with the cable company. But I only want one channel. Mr. Brooker, you got to get 40. But I only want one. <laughs> so we were forced to get cable. So anyway, we're watching the scores after one of my brother's high school football games because I lived in western Pennsylvania where football's king. Mm. And my dad hates commercials. So we turned to an Edgar Bergen TV special with ventriloquists. And lo and behold, we all tried to talk like the ventriloquist on there. Mm-hmm. And I was the only one that could do it. So that Christmas, my mom got me a Groucho Marx figure. And it was, oh, wow. yeah, that was it. And then the next year, the public access station 
had a thing for people that wanted to learn how to operate the camera. And so I was becoming pretty fascinated by theater and film because I've always liked movies. I've always been a bit of a cinephile, mm. if you will. You asked me about Citizen Kane, Rosebud all the way. I'm mm. on Team Rosebud. Yeah. Those that know Citizen Kane know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I <laughs> No spoilers, in. it's a sled. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> You weren't supposed to tell them that's why I'm on Team Rosebud. Rosebud is just loyal the entire time. Rosebud is there. Rosebud, the only piece of his childhood yeah. that doesn't screw him over, okay? But you had to tell them it was a sled. So word to your moms, like your sled is loyal. So yeah. anyway, we went in. So I went in, and I was like, okay, I want to learn how to work the camera. And ultimately, I want my own show. They're like, you want your own show? I'm like, yeah. They're mm. like, well, would you like your own show? I'm like, yeah. So I walked out with my own show. So that's how that started. Uh-huh. How long did you do that? I did my own show. I actually did three different shows. I did April Talk, which is a talk show, uh-huh. where I interviewed local celebrities. <laughs> then I had April Rock on. It was a rock show. Again, and then I had story time with April and Friends, which was my which was my bedtime story show, where I read bedtime stories to children all over the world. Mm. And the World Wide Web was in, infancy, in its infancy in those days, but... With my own money, I sent my tapes around the world, and I got on public access stations in 36 states, six countries, and I was on a little streaming thing on the World Wide Web. It was wow. Twitch before Twitch. That's how old okay. I <laughs> That's really cool. So, obviously, that puts you in a position where you decided, okay, this is my life now. I'm going to be an mm-hmm. entertainer, right? Oh, yeah. It, it put me in a position where I'm like, okay, this is my life. I'm going to be an entertainer, and I'm going to go to New York and see where the journey leads me. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so I thought, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, and it actually, because at first I thought, I'm not sure what this is going to do because it's going to look really good on college applications because that's what my mom was about, the college applications. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was. But that's when like I decided, okay, this is my destiny, you know? So how old were you when you went to New York? I was 18 18. when I went to New York. So let's talk about going to New York and getting on stage. What happened there? I went to New York, and even though I was doing all the stuff with the puppets, I thought that I was going to be a classical actor because Uh I'm actually a classically trained actor. Mm. I went through Lee Strasberg, which I still do a weekly online acting class with them. I dip my feet back into that during the quarantine. Cool. And... I did Stone Street Studios, and I did another Shakespearean class at NYU. And I had a teacher there who this woman was just – and this wasn't a part of Lee Strasberg. This was a different studio that I won't name. Uh-huh. And it was – and I actually almost left school my first year because I just wasn't happy, and the signs were pointing that I was supposed to be doing comedy. Uh-huh. And I was actually thinking of dropping out of school to do comedy because I just was not happy as a classical actor. And I remember a teacher of mine, and I think she was actually trapped at this particular studio that I won't name. She looked at me one day and she said, April, you don't belong here. Mm. And I was like, okay. She goes, there's nothing wrong with that. This is not your place. She goes, you're never going to be happy here. And I can already see that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I haven't been happy for a year. Mm. So I was getting ready to leave New York, and I was just going to hit the road with the ventriloquism just to see what that did. And I was even going to go to L.A. or something. And my mom said, just give school another year. 
that was my mom's whole thing. You're going to switch studios and give school another year. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Lee Strasberg and they really liked me. They liked the fact that I did the ventriloquism and they said, there's a market for somebody like yourself. Mm -hmm. It might not be as a legit actor, but there's a market. That's what their whole thing was. And the second thing is that they said, this could open the door and you could act. And I was like, okay. So as I'm making these decisions, there's this rainstorm and they bark me into a comedy show. And there's this girl on stage, and I'm like, I'm so much funnier than this because I'd been rocking in my dorm talent shows with my puppet. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what? This is what I'm going to be doing. And so then I started going to class during the day, and at night I would use my food money to get on stage and pay for my open mic time. Uh So I would be doing Night Mother during the day, which, by the way, great play by Marsha Norman, depressing as hell. Okay, it's about suicide. Yeah, Uh cheerful. (laughs) And then I would go on stage, and I would be like, hey, guys, guess what I did today? I did a scene where I told my mother I was killing myself, and then i (laughs) pick up a puppet. So how were were you received on the comedy stage? I got a lot of mixed reactions. There were people who, because I'm a prop act, they were like, oh my God, this is so awesome because I wasn't a quote-unquote lame prop act. Right. Because whenever they see you walk out with a puppet, they expect you to be lame. Uh So they're like, oh my God, you're not lame. Yay. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not lame. The second is, oh, you're so brave, which that's like the biggest backhand Mm. ever. Yeah. That's so brave. (laughs) Like when they talk about a brave space now, it's a space where you can be an asswad. Okay, that's what a brave space is. (laughs) Yeah. All right. That is the, yeah. So they're like, you're so brave. And then this one guy who's not doing comedy anymore, and that's an act of God. Okay, because (laughs) he was just a truly awful God, like he just was, his opening joke was, I shoved my girlfriend down the stairs. It's like, please warm us up to that. All right. Mm. He goes, he, this is a feedback open mic. I kid you not. He goes, are you sure the puppet's a good idea? And that's really what a lot of, I talk to a lot of comics and a lot of comics get bad advice and they get bad mm-hmm. notes because you can't be who you are unless you be who you are and you're not going to do anything on stage if you're not being true to yourself. So if you're the, if you're the puppet person, then do the freaking puppets. And, mm-hmm. but I can see, I can see where that type of stuff would get a mixed reaction and be polarizing because first off, so when you talk about the year that you first went on stage, what year was it? Oh gosh, 2004. Okay, 2004. That was a time when women comics, especially, they're, they weren't given them much of a chance. No, they anyway, weren't. And, yeah. And, and I was, and people were saying some pretty stupid things to me. And it's, if I could have, and not to talk, and not to actually, I'm going to bash men. Sorry, fellas. You can take it. You can take a hit, yeah. right? Yeah, the guys can take a hit. Um, they get paid more than I do anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> they make more money on the dollar. They can take the hit. This one guy comes up to me after a show. I kid you not. And he was one of those, I could already feel that he felt that a woman's place was not behind the microphone. He says to me, you should really stop wearing short skirts on stage because you distract me. And I'm like, okay, so you're letting me know you're a creep. Thank you very much. I'm just going to take my drink over here. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> so those hurtful things, people say really hurt. I've heard hurtful things, and I'm a giant man. And so, <laughs> you know, you when you hear those hurtful things, how do you internalize it? Do you make it make you want to do more and say, fuck you, I'm going to do it? Or is it, did it hurt so much that you wanted to quit? 
it was it was back and forth for a while. For a while, it did hurt so much that I wanted to quit. Mm-hmm. But then I told myself, guess what? I'm going to make it, and they're not. Like, I'm going to be the one that gets on television, even if it's the last thing I ever do. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be, and they're not going to know how I'm going to make it, but I'm going to do it because I'm going to be funnier, and I'm going to work harder. And, and, and I went through a lot and I had an ex that told me it's me or the puppets. Like I had a lot of things telling me no puppets. And so I put my puppets away for a few months. And of course I got engaged on the third date, which meant that I was all about good decisions in those days. Hello. (laughs) And so anyway, after a few months, I missed my puppets. I got my puppets out and I kicked them to the curb and I was performing in Brooklyn. And this is when I knew I made the right decision. And this kid comes up to me with a camera, and he's got that cute little handlebar mustache, and he's cute in that hipster kind of way where, yeah, he's probably a complete gentleman, but I'm going to hear all about his feelings all night, and I'm going to have to walk him home, okay? (laughs) I'm going to have to make sure he gets home okay. (laughs) So he says to me, you have this puppet with you. Can I take your picture? And I'm like, sure. And so I'm talking to him, and I'm like, maybe he's single. It turns out he has a girlfriend. Not that's ever stopped a guy before, but Mm -hmm. he's got a girlfriend. Yeah. So he takes my picture. And he says, so we start talking, I'm telling him about my fiance, and he goes, you're good to kick him to the curb, because that's going to, you were smart to choose your puppets. Mm-hmm. A year later, I get a phone call, and it's been the worst year of my life, okay? Everything's going bad. And I get a phone call, and it's TLC, and they're with a show called My Strange Addiction. Mm-hmm. They said, we heard about you because somebody took your picture last year, and they have a friend that works in casting. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, you took your picture. You told him about your fiance. And he said her fiance made her choose between her and the puppets. And so I got on TLC. I got on My Strange Addiction. And the story, get this, the Daily Mail then did a story on me that went viral from England to Iceland to Italy, then Russia to China to India, then Ghana to Nigeria to Kenya, then from Colombia to Brazil to Guatemala. That's right. I'm a celebrity in Guatemala. Wow. So you're and right. The headline read is. Yeah, the headline read as follows: Ventriloquist splashes out twenty grand a year on her puppets that made twenty grand a year on her puppets. His fiance said it's either them or me, folks. I thought I found my Mister Okay. Boy, was I wrong. So Twitch, I'm not looking for Mister. I'm just desperately seeking Mister Okay. <laughs> so, are you addicted to the puppets? That doesn't seem like an addiction. The well, people on I'm there, there, they like eat tape and stuff. It's just. It's weird stuff. I, I, I don't get it. The producer wanted a more lighthearted one, yeah. but I sort of like got a magic aura around my backstory. Do you know the film Magic with Anthony Hopkins? Yes. Yeah, That's a it was weird sort of like, movie. 82? Was that 82 that came out? Yes, 82, because yeah. everybody's, have you ever seen that movie? You're like quirky. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. I was like, yeah, before I even saw the movie. Then I saw the movie, I'm like... Maybe I'm a little cute, cuter than Corky. I don't know. But I wish I, but I love Anthony Hopkins. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. But anyway, I was like, yeah, cool. Anyway, but the, it gave me an aura and they wanted a more quote unquote fun and lighthearted episode. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, not only did I choose my puppets and I chose to be the puppet person pivoting back to her point, but that idiot X and those idiots they got me more pressed than anybody. Yeah. So if I could go back in time, I'd say thank you. Because guess what? You made me a better puppet person. Mm-hmm. And I'm in Vegas now. Yeah. yeah. You are 100% invested in the puppetry and 
all of the characters at this point. So I'm, I'm taking you up to the point where you did the My Strange Addiction and you come out of it and you're getting some heat. I need to know how you come up with all the different characters and all the stuff that you do with it because I think that Donald J. Tramp was just like genius. Thank you. I, I just come up with it based on what's going on in the world sometimes because of him. I actually made him Donald J. Tramp. Like, he's a fop. He's a folly because a tramp is a fop and a folly, by uh-huh. the way. And I couldn't make him Donald J. Trump because he trademarked his name. Yeah. Because why not? <laughs> and But he was current, and he's Donald J. Tramp. He's the other dummy in the White House. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, one funny story with him, and this is something that Regular people find funny, but ventriloquists and comedians and any comedy person would find hysterical is people sometimes get mad at my puppets and think they're real. Mm-hmm. And so I was performing with Donald J. Trump in Cleveland, and I was there with my manager, who's an ex-cop, and he was acting as my handler and the Cleveland PDs there. And the square, the Republican National Convention, because Donald J. Trump was a spokes puppet for STAT, uh-huh. you had the Trump supporters and the protesters. And it was more like a music festival. Have you ever been to Lollapalooza? It's more of a party than anything. So this guy with a handlebar mustache and a cowboy hat, and he's open carry, because Ohio's open carry, mm-hmm. comes over to me and he goes, why do you hate Trump? And I have my STAT talking points ready, blah, blah. And he goes, no, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to him. <laughs> and he's and he's arguing back and forth with Donald J. Trump. And meanwhile, like my manager sees this guy has an open carry and he looks like he could assassinate a world leader. Uh-huh. So he's looking at the cop and as they see him arguing with the puppet, they're like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just so everybody knows, you're not you're an equal opportunity satirist. You're doing Biden, too. Yes. Yeah. So it's where the funny is. Presidents are funny, and I believe that you have to be equal opportunity because, one, it just makes you smarter as a person, uh-huh. and, two, it makes you a better comic because, guess what? We all need to laugh, Yeah. and you're going to have audiences from all different walks. You're going to have audiences that are very liberal, and liberal audiences, I love them as people, but sometimes they're not the best comedy show audiences because they get so offended. You're right, yeah. And then, and then Trumpers... Sometimes they're not the best people, but they're great audiences because yeah. they're never offended. <laughs> anybody who pays, right? <laughs> yeah, anybody who pays. But I've had, but at the beginning, when Donald J. Trump was out on Twitter, I had some Trump people that absolutely wanted my head. Yeah. But then this one guy, he's, hey, I'm a Trump supporter. This is funny. Get a sense of humor, guys. Yeah. And we all started talking. And they're like, but what you need is a Ted Cruz puppet because he's just a loser at it. And so we all united in hate over Ted Cruz. <laughs> oh, that's great. So talking, oh, about yeah. different, talking about different audiences, you've been all over the place. You've been worldwide with your act. How do you have to change it up for different audiences? I'd have to say this, a New York audience, and that's where I did 10 plus years of my life. And New York City will make you a soldier on stage. That's what New York City does. Uh Because you'll deal with audiences that you get there and they're smiling. They're not laughing. And they're like, why aren't they they laughing? And then five comics in, you discover they're all from Finland and don't know English. Or you'll get audiences that come in for free, or you'll get a weird mix of people, or you'll get the comedy shows. Do you ever do stuff in New York City? 
No, I'm a Midwest okay. guy. Yeah. One thing about New York City is I call them the shows that last forever. Mm-hmm. The shows that last forever, you get maybe it's one show that goes into another show that goes into a third show. And sometimes they change MCs and sometimes they don't. But if you stay the entire time, you can see 20 or 30 comics in a night, which is a lot of comedy. Mm-hmm. And so I've gone on towards the end of those shows where I still have to bring it, where I'm frustrated and somebody, you would have been better staying home. It's, yeah, you're right, but stage time is stage time. Yeah. But New York, you get exposed to everything, and so you become a soldier. But Vegas, though, you become an entertainer in Vegas. Like, you get the real showman in Vegas. Like, you get really talented folks that know how to deliver. Whereas a New York audience, they like it hard. They like it. They're, they're city right. people. Yeah. Whereas a Vegas audience, they like it fun. They're there to party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're and, doing that show in Vegas now. Yes. Uh, Burlesque Q, yes. It's a pandemic-friendly review where it's me and I'm 25 feet from the audience. Uh-huh. How's that going over? Actually, it's been great. When I did it, my manager calls me and he goes, hey, I have a booking for you. And I said, make sure they know I'm in Las Vegas. Because what brought me out to Vegas was my residency, April Unwrapped, had two preview weekends, and then the pandemic hit. Uh And I always say that I want coronavirus' agent because (laughs) coronavirus is getting all the press. So anyway, I get this uh, booking. So there's this booking for you. I'm like, make sure they know I'm on the East Coast because I was doing all the same shows. For my two dogs, um, I live with a pit bull. It's actually my house. That's my housemate's dog. Mm-hmm. The baby, our dog. And uh, she's a Wheaton. And they have this parakeet. So I was doing these Zoom shows, and every once in a while, the parakeet would give me a sympathy tweet. <laughs> the Wheaton would just run out of the room when I did the shows. Like, yeah. She doesn't think I'm very funny. And the pit bull would just, he, he'd give me, like, the smile, like a lot of audiences that don't understand do. So I was getting all these reactions, but the sympathy tweets from the parakeet, Pat, were keeping me going. Yeah. So he says, uh, I said, make sure they know I'm on the West Coast. He goes, no, this is in person. I said, it's in person? He goes, yeah, it's in person. And I'm like, what? He's, yeah. And so part of me is, like, scared because I hadn't been on stage for almost a year at that point. Mm. And I'd also known people that died of COVID. My sister is actually working in the front lines right now. She's an ER doc. Mm. So I was, like, scared. He's, do you want to be a working comedian or not? I'm like, you had me a working comedian. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I so that's how I got it. Yeah. So you had to develop a act that was specific to Vegas at that point. Did you go in with ideas or did you um, work with somebody to get the act where you wanted it? First of all, being 25 feet away, you have to emote more and and you have to understand that it's going to take longer for the laughs to get to you and all that kind of stuff. But what did you do to build an act for Vegas? Well, I actually have Mae Wilson with me and she's going to help explain it. Okay. Hey, Mae. Hello. What are you doing later? <laughs> yeah, nobody's called me cutie in a long time. Cutie, you're putting me on Twitch. What's up, Twitch? <laughs> Every time you watch, he gets paid. And he's one step closer to being my sugar daddy. Yeah. <laughs> May, May, could you stop hitting on the host? Oh, come on, April. We all know you that your talent getting, getting you hooked on this podcast. I got you hooked because I'm a star. <laughs> So, May, we're, we're talking about our show in Vegas. Oh, yeah, the, the show that I'm in. No, May, we're both in the show. <laughs> no, April, I'm in the show. You just stand there getting my water. Where are my red m ms <laughs> So, we're talking about how we got our act 
Vegas friendly. The first thing I said is, hey, girl, you got to start looking a little better on stage. Stop looking like your broken core. You can look like your broken core. I'm going to look like a star, okay? <laughs> so what I'm saying is we put a crown on May's head. And the second thing my manager said is, because they're far away, you have to wear more sparkles. And I said, I don't wear sparkles. I'm a New York City comedian. And I said, hey, girl, you're not a New York City comedian anymore. You're in Vegas. You're getting paid. Duh. <laughs> so that's the second thing we did. The third thing we did was, what else did you do, May? I take off my clothes in the show. No, you don't. <laughs> I had to say that to make sure Twitch was still listening. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but what we do is it's a little, what else do we do, May? Oh, we sing in the show. Yeah, that's right. We do sing. We actually do do what? All right. Mr. Sandman. People like it because they're like, wow, that chocolate is so talented. She should have her own show. Goodbye, April. <laughs> you see, I'm going to step closer because with April, I'm a really good crocodile. But on my own, I'm a star. <laughs> look, at, look at how she treats me. I do all this for me and look at how she treats me. What? Yeah, you should really be nicer. Yeah, May. you should be nicer to me. Or I'm going to put you back in your trunk. You ain't <laughs> there. I'm a star. <laughs> but so now that, so what are your plans for stardom? Let's see. I tried, I've been dating all these famous men. Weren't you dating Kermit the Frog for a while? Yes, I was, but he was only into pigs. <laughs> And who's your newest celebrity crush? Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper? Are you aware that, how do I say this nicely, May? He's not into puppets? Well, <laughs> what can I say? Once you go puppet, it's all about the felt life, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, but May, Kathy Griffin did that for a long time. Yeah, but I have more human skin than she does. <laughs> okay, how do I say this nicely? Anderson Cooper likes to ride bikes without a seat. So do I, all night long. What about you, Scott? <laughs> uh, no, thanks. <laughs> no, no, see, 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 mate. Okay. Anderson Cooper is gay. Oh, well, you know what? That means that we can go sleep with other men, and I get to keep this money. Holla! <laughs> yeah, mate, money can't buy you love, but it can buy you a lot of drugs. Mm-hmm. But weren't you seeing Pinocchio for a while? Yes, I was, but every time he lied, his nose grew and his dick shrank. <laughs> But you were with him for two years. Yeah, because every time he lied, I just sat on his face. <laughs> but weren't you guys going to get married? Do you want to know the truth? I think we all want to know the truth. The dirty dung of any splinters. <laughs> get your hand out of my face. The splinters are a clinical subject for me, and you're being insensitive, okay? <laughs> but in order to get over one, you got to get under one. And that's why I'm getting me a sugar daddy. Any takers, Scott? <laughs> You're rich. You got all that Twitch money coming in. Yeah, yeah. I'm an old married man. I'll uh... Listen, married? I'm really happy to be a side piece, Scott. Okay, okay. Yeah, next time I'm in Vegas, I'll look you up. Okay, May. Yeah, he's going to look you up. Hey, whatever happens in Vegas, stay in Vegas, Scott. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I mean your money. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I got I got I got I got to run and do some coke. I'll talk to you later. Okay, okay. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> this is she's like this all the time, Scott. I swear to God. Uh, <laughs> so you've got so many. How many different characters do you have? I have thirty-five right now. 
35. What happens when you get compared to Jeff Dunham? I'm flattered because Jeff Dunham is hot. So he's one of the hottest ventriloquists out there. What I, and I don't mean, because, I mean, he's a decent-looking guy, but I mean that he's uh, he's making a lot of money. Okay. So. Did you ever yeah, run I'm into okay. Otto and George? Yes. I actually worked with Otto before he died. Okay. Rip. He, he I was, was on the pig roast. Yeah. he's He was a good guy. Very good guy. As a matter of fact, his wife and sister still follow me. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, um, and I talk about Otto in my book, Don't Read My Lips. Because, that was where that's um, where I was going. All right. So excellent see, segue. Your mind. Yeah, I wanted to get into the book, so let's talk about that. What's that all about? It's an instructional book on how to do ventriloquism like the craft. Uh-huh. What kind of what puppets are the the industry term is figures there are, mm-hmm. where to get them, what to ask for, what you need, how to get on stage and how to pursue a career as a ventriloquist and how to create a character. Mhm. And also how to deal with unexpected gigs and how to deal with people that, you know, and how to deal with some of the, I guess that what you would call it, pushback to being a ventriloquist. But one story I tell in there is when I was a neophyte, I was a baby, comic and baby vent. And I got, they said, April, we want you to meet Otto and George and bring May because we're going to try to throw you up. Mm. And in those days... Because I also, in those days, I was so new. And anyway, long story short, I get up and I do my thing with May. And I was like, it was a good set for where I was at the time. Mm. You know how like when you're a beginner comic, a good set then is would not be a good set now. Because in those days, I'm like, okay, they laughed. I didn't die. Mission accomplished. Right. He gets up and of course he kills it. And this is at Pip's Comedy Club because it changed hands for a moment. Mm-hmm. And we were at El Greco's afterwards, and Otto bought me a drink, and he's talking to me, blah, blah, blah. And he says, does May have a last name? I'm like, why the hell does May need a last name? She's a puppet. He goes, this is, how, this is where you're wrong, because giving her a last name is going to make her more real. Uh-huh. And so I said to him, what's George's last name? He goes, Dudley, like my uncle. And... So for for weeks, I really thought about May's last name because at first I wanted to call her May Brooker, like April Brooker, but that would just be weird. Mm. Then I thought about May Flowers, and that was like, oh, God, dear Jesus in heaven. Mm. And then, yeah, and then because I only grew up with three stations growing up, I thought, you know what? My favorite cartoon growing up was Dennis the Menace. And his, and I didn't want to call her Mae Mitchell because that was just too many M's. Mm. But I decided to call her Mae Wilson because Mr. Wilson was the neighbor and Brooker is so hard to say. Yeah. And so what do you have to say about your name, Mae? I know I'm interrupting your Coke usage, but <laughs> well, what I have to say is that M and W are two of the hardest letters for ventriloquists to say. Uh. So what do you have to say about that, April? He's the dummy now. <laughs> <laughs> May had a little something. She I left know, a little, I know. little on the plate there, just FYI. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. So thinking about the book and what you put into it, have you, obviously you, you want to teach people how to do the ventriloquism right if um, that's their path. Have you worked with people and mentored any people that are currently doing ventriloquism? 
Yes and no. I worked with one little girl in Brooklyn who wanted to be a ventriloquist, but she had these parents that I don't understand this mentality of parenting where it's okay, honey, you can change it if you want. You don't have to do this if you want. And she just got to be very frustrating. Mm. And I'm like, okay, you don't have to do this. You can do whatever you want. Because my whole thing was the only way to do this is to do it. Mm. And so I had her do an assignment where she did her little act for her grandparents and she didn't want to do it. And it's good. If you don't want to do what I tell you to do, then abort mission. I can't, like, I can lead you to water, but I can't make you drink. Mm. And then there was one little guy. He was writing to me for a while. I get a lot of little vents that write to me. It's very cute. And I'll give him advice. And yeah, I've quasi mentored a few people, but, and I like mentoring people because it helps keep the art alive. Mm. And, uh, Fun fact, I don't know if you've ever come across The Great Lester. Old school ventriloquist, the trick where the ventriloquist drinks a glass of water uh-huh. and the dummy talks. Yeah. And, or he's the one that invented that. Like, he made that trick popular. First Are we talking about the dude from the 70s? No. Okay. We're talking about the, he was maybe, he died in the 50s. Okay. But he made one TV appearance. Okay. And it was on an Edgar Bergen, another Edgar Bergen special. Mm -hmm. But anyway, he had, he was the first quote unquote ventriloquist teacher. And Edgar Bergen was his famous student, but he taught, and he's the one that you see the pamphlets, but he used to say, this is the way you keep it alive. Mm -hmm. And that was Edgar Bergen's whole thing is to, to older events is you have to mentor people. Like this is not a choice. Like you have to. So let's talk. I I like to ask everybody this a couple different questions. First off, what would you say is the best and worst advice you got coming up? The best advice I got was to be myself and to have fun. And it's advice that I still have to continue to tell myself Mm. is have fun because this is a professional comic is every time you step on stage, you, especially when you start to get money for it, you want to do well and it's mm. a job and we forget to have fun. Right. And so that's the best advice I got. The worst advice I got, oh God, there were so many pieces of advice that were bad. <laughs> Another piece of good advice I got was to develop as a stand-up as well as a ventriloquist, which I'm glad I did because it gave me a good understanding. But the worst piece of advice I got is that the doll was going to hold me back. Mm-hmm which turned out to be the opposite. The doll has always been the cash cow. And they used to call it the doll was going to hold me back. And then other dumb pieces of advice is a woman comic. A woman comic should do this. A woman comic should do that. Blah, Mm. blah, 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 blah. So it's a man comic that can't get a date or stage time or a manager or an agent and still doing open mics. Keep that up, sir. Mm -hmm. You, you got to have your thing. You get, you got to differentiate yourself from everybody else or nobody notices you. And I'm, how can somebody not notice you? I, I went through all your stuff, and I if I saw you walking by with uh, May or Donald J. J. Tramp, I'd know something's up, and it's going to be funny. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. And, and another piece of – this wasn't even a piece of advice, but this is just – this shows you what idiots – comics encounter and everybody encounters them regardless of who they are in comedy but i get off stage and it's the first time i've ever featured anywhere Mm -hmm. and i was green but the reason they needed it is that the reason they needed me is i was they needed more female features coming through because they were getting heat Mm -hmm. and so i was brand new and it was a decent set and so he goes you're really funny for a woman 
woman. <laughs> and what I wanted to tell him was, you should totally see us. We're doctors now. We're lawyers. We we run for president. We don't get elected, but we run. Uh-huh. We're even vice presidents right now, sir. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God. And then the other one is, this next comic coming to the stage is a woman. Thank you. Oh, wow. That's awful. And it's funny. When you say that a lot of comedians are idiots, I think we all are in one way or another, and we're all a little bit broken. There's there, there's something a little bit wrong with all of us, and some of us more wrong than others. But the woman-hating part of male comedians is something that it doesn't seem like it ever really goes away. Even with the Me Too and stuff like that, it seemed like it really it really added fuel to the fire versus actually people getting a little bit more woke, as the kids say. But, yeah, it just, I, I haven't understood the misogyny because it's something that I see, like, in open mics and very young comedians that should know better because they were raised in a world where women were not as put upon as they were even 10 years ago, that, but they still have these old-world thoughts, and I, I just don't get it. I don't get it either, and actually there was – but what it shows me is more than anything, and let's talk fundamental to craft, is when somebody has to open up with a joke where they push their girlfriend down the stairs, that shows me not only lack of creativity but lack of actual talent, okay? Yeah. Because there was this one kid, and I won't even say that he was a bad kid, but he was opening up that way. And he's – and then I pushed my girlfriend down the stairs. And, of course, it's a groan, and it's no – and I had to give him credit. He opened up with pushing his girlfriend down the stairs, and then he followed it with an abortion joke. Now, All that's right. not a home run. I don't know what it is. Okay? <laughs> so he was going for it. And afterwards, he just was shocked that he was getting so much crap from everybody in the room. Yeah. Because the woman comic that went up afterwards was not only Me Too, but she decided to share her rape survivor story, which if that's not a way to bring a room up, I don't know yeah. what it is, guys. Wow. You know? And so they got into a shouting match. And so afterwards, he's I don't know what I did wrong. I'm like, dude. I'm like, do you have an actual girlfriend? He's, no. I said, okay. I said, do you have a job? He's, I hate my job. I'm like, do you have a family? He's, oh, yeah, they're nuts. I said, talk about that. That's funny, and that's universal, and that's where your creativity is going to come in. And I said, I'm not telling you what to do, but if you're going to push your girlfriend down the stairs and talk about abortion, warm us up. Buy us dinner before you go there. That's what I say. Yeah. And when did you realize that it meant, that being a comedian means making the audience laugh. It doesn't matter what the other comedians think. I realized that the further I got in comedy, because there's this bizarre current in New York City, and I'm going to down the New York City comedy scene for a second. Sorry, guys, that's true. <laughs> is I always say the difference between New York City and Vegas is in Vegas, they're entertainers. They are there for the crowd. Yeah. And I work with some performers that every night when they step on stage, it is blood, sweat, and tears, and they are there for the crowd. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the dancers that I dance with, Shawnee Cooper, the MC for the show, and if you ever see Sean, not only is he a funny stand-up comic, but he does a hell of a Sammy Davis Jr., a hell of a Michael Jackson. He does Prince. He does Tina Turner. Like, he can do it all, and he's there to entertain you. Whereas in New York, you get these artists, and these artists, like, they're in love with their material. And they'll go dark, and they'll take risks. And it's wonderful to see when it works out. But when it doesn't work out, it's, dude, you know that you're supposed to have a punchline at the end. And they don't always understand that. Yeah. Or it's like a badge of honor to walk an audience, this, that, whatever. I get it. You took a risk. You were bold. 
But if you, and you're from the Midwest, if you do that stuff in the Midwest or you do that stuff with a club owner, you don't come back. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. It's like, oh yeah, it's okay. Take a risk. But if you want this as a career, just make sure those risks are calculated because you could find that you don't get booked. And I think you need to be in a certain place before you take those risks. You you have to get funny. You have to get funny. You need to learn to perform. You need to have a fan base. And then I I always uh, draw the analogy of George Carlin. If you listen to his albums from the first to the last, he morphed into what he really was, which, Mm -hmm. you know, was more of an angry philosopher and he went from hippy dippy weatherman to let, let's make all the golf courses into low income housing he he changed because he was able to and he i think he was funnier in the end and obviously it meant mm-hmm. more to me but he was really good when he started and he brought those fans with him so there's a time and oh, a yeah. place to to be edgy you know what I mean? Do, be oh, there. and I, I a thousand, I a thousand percent agree. And some of some advice that I got that was very good from a club owner. And this guy was doing everything I wanted to do. He toured in Vegas. Uh, Dave Riley, if you're listening, hello, I love you. Um, <laughs> the piece of advice he gave me is I was coming out of New York at that point, and I was like, fuck this, fuck that, fuck that. Blah, blah, blah. And when she had a dirty mouth, everybody had a dirty mouth, and it was just a big old f fest. But mm. anyway. Yeah, so it was, you know, it was just like if there could have been a bleep button, there was a bleep button. He goes, listen, he goes, a word about profanity is you got to use it like paprika. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which it's effective when it's placed. Because and one thing, because in New York, everybody swore this, that, and it just was effective there, but it's not going to be effective when you hit the road. Because mm-hmm. they don't have the mouths that we do in the Midwest. Right. And they don't even have the mouths that we do in New York and Vegas. And especially not in California. Like, you should see me watch a game out here, like a sporting event. I swear at the TV and everybody looks at me like I'm insane. Yeah. <laughs> but when somebody drops a fumble, it's the Pittsburgh sports fan in me. But the point is, that's the thing about profanity. And this is where George Carlin was a genius, is he knew how to place it. Yeah. And you get some of these folks coming up that are swearing for shock effect. But after you use the F word as a connector for the fifth time, your audience is just like tuning you out. Right. Yeah, you can't yeah. use it as punctuation. I, I totally agree. No. But if if a bit ends, it's like, it's, then that makes sense yeah. because it's the buildup, especially if you haven't sworn the entire time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so it has to be so well placed. And this is where it pays off to watch comedy and study comedy. And that's why, like, a lot of club owners, big name headliners or whatever, you talk to them. They can talk about comedy. They can talk about comedy albums. And it's because you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's actually comedy is the most simple, hard thing in the world. Exactly. That is so true. I think it's the hardest art form because Mm -hmm. it's just you and the mic and you have to make people laugh. But understanding the formula and understanding where you need to put the punch and how many laughs you need in order to keep an audience engaged. that That's true for any comic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, too, is that it's not like, in a way, comedy is like music because when somebody dances, you don't know that they're off. Yeah. They just look good. Music, when it sounds off, yeah. when somebody can't mm-hmm. sing. Comedy, when somebody's off. And also when they're not laughing, that's not a good sign. Yeah. You're not doing your job. Yeah. 
And comedies, I, I, I compare it to jazz as far as music goes because it's it's out there and and the beat has to change every once in a while and the bass needs to come in when it's not supposed to mm-hmm. when you wouldn't think it would in a straight blues tune. But yeah, that I'm a music freak too. Yeah, so yeah. Comedy is jazz. So the last question I wanted to ask is, and I like to ask this to everybody, what three things do you know now that you wish you would have known when you first started stand-up? Okay, the first I wish I would have known is that it's going to take longer to get what I want than I thought because Mm. I watched Punchline and all those movies one too many times, and I thought, I'm just going to do a few sets, and in a year, I'm going to have a special. No. And I can say this is somebody who previewed a show in Vegas and knock on wood, April Unwrapped coming back at some point, mm-hmm. and is somebody who's a special guest in Vegas, which is a huge deal, is this took years to get to this point, and it took years to know what I know now. I was not ready to have a special after my first year of comedy, and thank God I did not. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. The second thing I wish I knew was not to get mad when – other people got successful and not to get mad at people that were on TV that I wasn't just Mm -hmm. to study the craft harder because the answer is always in the work. When you're not getting what you want, you either need to do more act outs on stage. And with her, I actually added a rod during the Vegas show. Mm -hmm. She's got a little rod on her arm. Uh Uh, Do this, do that. Like just up your craft. Like you don't pay when you up your craft, like you only benefit. But yeah, it's great to get up there, but always up your craft. That's mm. the second piece of advice I would give myself because when you up your craft and focus on yourself, then things will come to you because you're attracting it. And the third piece of advice that I would give myself is don't ever blame an audience because mm. a lot of comics do that. That yeah. audience sucks. This, that. Okay. Some, like every crowd, like crowds are like people. They all have their same personalities or or different personalities, sorry. But the piece of advice that – and sometimes you're going to do better than others. But with every bad show comes a lesson. Mm. And a bad show is is only a failure if you don't get the lesson from Mm. it. Yep. I agree. And and sometimes you – yeah, because sometimes you're like, oh, that crowd sucked. I'm moving on. No. There was a lesson there. Maybe you've never done a crowd for this age group. Mm. Maybe you've never done a crowd for this group or that group. Maybe yeah. now. But no, there's always a lesson in a bad set, and it's only a bad set if you don't learn the lesson. Mm. It's funny. You triggered something. I, I'm not triggered, but it, it triggered a question. <laughs> I, I, uh, um, yeah, you got to be careful these days. <laughs> yeah, I, I when I talk to a lot of guy comics and I ask this question, they tend – to give me a different answer, but do you think that comedy out of all the arts is the most meritocracy or do you think there are other things at play when somebody gets a Netflix special that maybe you think isn't as good as you? I think that it's one thing that I can say is somebody that also acts and guys, just a plug for my friends in Murdered by the Mob, the longest running off-Broadway dinner theater show in New York City. When they open, come back to them. I, I always sport their merch. Uh-huh. I was in this show for a while. Is And I and this is where I'm going to tie it in, is casting is very complicated, mm. okay? When you have a number of people in the same room, they could all do the job. It's a numbers game. And it's mm. the same with the Netflix special. Because some people get a Netflix special, some people get on Conan, some people get this, some people get that. You get what's meant for you. 
And so, yeah, there might be other things at play, but ultimately you're responsible for your own destiny. If you want to sit at home and whine about why somebody who's quote unquote lesser than you got a Netflix special, be careful about saying they're lesser because they have a Netflix special. Now, don't they? Mm -hmm. Okay. They had to have something. All right. And second, what are you doing to further your interests? And this is where I had to get out of my own way eventually is before I got on reality TV, I said, I'll never do reality TV. Blah, 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 blah. And then the opportunity came for me to do it, and I did it, and it changed my life. Mm. It helped get me to Las Vegas. And so will I get a Netflix special, won't I? I don't know. But I'm responsible for my own path, and I'm responsible for the content that I put out there. Mm. And so rather than whining about he's getting a Netflix special, what are you doing to further yourself? That would be my question for those people. Very good. Very good. I have to say, I'm going to ask, ask you to talk about your website as we're almost done here, but I... You, you talk about, we talked about mentoring and stuff like that. I think you could teach a class on having your website put together and your reels and all that put together. You know, ha- having a good press kit is really important, but yours is really, okay, I have to, I go to some comic sites and they're okay, but I have to dig and mm-hmm. I, I have to know where I want to go in order to find what I want to find with yours. Man, I just watched the first video the second, I just went down the line and I dug in a little bit more. It's really well put together. Is that something that you did yourself? No. A special thank you to my manager, Clinton Ford Billups Jr., for helping me with okay. that. <laughs> because that was a learning curve with the website, and I'm glad that he did. Mm-hmm. Because for a while, I for a while I had somebody helping me, and then he had some life stuff, and then I had somebody else who was just totally out of his mind. And I'm glad he's no longer in my life because that's (laughs) another story. And then I did it myself and I have no visual imagination whatsoever, but I learned a lot about putting a website together. And to quote my great grandfather, William Joseph Brooker, you only have to sell one thing in this world and that's yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So yeah. So if you can sell, so just think of that when you put your website together is selling yourself and Hey, learning annex, if you're listening to this, I'd be happy to teach a class. Yeah. <laughs> and also, thank you for having large fonts because uh, small fonts just drive me crazy. So I, I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> thank you. And also, Melissa Robinette, if you're a comedian or actor, she's uh, pr- she's president of the East Coast Doctors Equity Association. She also teaches a class in marketing. And okay. She helped me quite a bit. Okay, excellent. Yeah, she's from a circus family. I, Yeah, uh-huh. she is... Like her mom was a trapeze artist, I think, and her dad was a trumpet player, and she's wow. got a whole backstory. That's, yeah, that's great. So, in talking about the website and uh, social media and stuff, where can people find you? You can go to my website, April Brooker, A P R A L B R E C K E R dot TV, and you can go to my Instagram page, April Brooker, Twitter, April Brooker, TikTok, April Brooker. In Facebook, April Brooker, and you can drop me a line. And if you want to see me in person, I am at Burlesque Q every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Alexis Park in fabulous Las Vegas, along with Mae Wilson at 10 p.m. And not only do I do ventriloquism, but I cow juggle on the show, <laughs> tea juggle. You have to come to the show to see that. And if you want, I sell kits on how to on my website. Now that's where you can find me, and you can get those tickets at Ticket Kite. Or Vegas.com. Okay, excellent. Man, it's been really good to talk to you. One of the things I wanted to ask is you seem pretty popular on all the different social medias. Which one is the one that gets you the most bite? Which one actually works the best for you? Oh, gosh. that's. I'd have to say either... I'd have to say Facebook because it's easier. It's easiest to find people on mm-hmm. there. 
but I'm starting to fall in love with Instagram and holla at my boy, Archie Econ. He's yeah. the one that got me to fall in love with uh, Instagram. Thank you, April. Thank you.